us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who, rose, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live for the you will live, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit, uh, the Spirit you receive, does not make you slaves, and that, and that you live in will fear again. So that, you, so that you will not live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit, the Spirit you receive, brought to you. Brought about your adoption, brought about your adoption, adoption to sonship, but and then and by him we will cry, Abba or Father. We, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we. Then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Uh, if, in, if indeed we share his sufferings, in order that we may also share his glory. Evening, everyone. Am I on? I've turned me on, haven't you? Um, Josh, good attempt. Aurora, extremely well done, sweetheart. Josh made, I give, I think you made about four or five mistakes. Aurora, I think, made one mistake. Yes. I noticed you abandoned your daughter when you finished your reading. You weren't hanging around, you're on your own, kid. <clears throat> what a loving father you are. Is it stage fright? What was it? Or you didn't want to be showing up? Or? No, I think uh, she took it to home. So. She brought it home, mate. She resurrected the passage, in fact. It's, <laughs> it's a great passage, isn't it? We've started a series, I think it's called, 
message by Daryl Evans. <laughs> I, think this, I think this series is called Follow Me. The series is called Discipleship. Just talk to you amongst yourselves for a second. Have you seen the <laughs> slides that Josh has seen? Doesn't have follow me on it? Aurora, sort him out. No, it's not about following me. Good evening, everyone. We, um, it's been a very long 24 hours for me. I think this is my third message in 24 hours and about my fifth speaking engagement. This afternoon we had a members meeting. It went for a very long time. I said to my wife, it should be finished by three o'clock. <coughs> That's what she did. Because I had left about two hours, maybe two and a half, three hours worth of still editing and pruning of tonight's message to do. And I'd put aside a couple of chapters and a couple of books. I thought, I just want to read those before I do the editing process. So when I got home at um, five o'clock, <laughs> I went, well, I won't read those chapters in those books. I grabbed my notes and I read through them and I read through them, I read through them and I've chopped and pasted. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out. Before I do the message, I wanted to say this. At the members meeting, we had three issues to... Uh, process this afternoon and one was the uh, would we as a church go into the um, redress scheme and we voted yes in favour of doing that pretty strongly. We had a shed proposal and the church has decided that they're going to go ahead with the shed proposal, work out some of the details obviously but they were moving ahead with that so that was good. And then we also had an election for elders, uh, for joining the new elders to join the pastoral team and three of the people who were nominated um, got recognised by the church as being appropriate. Ken Chow, who's here tonight, stand up. Scott Carpenter, who's standing at the back. And Coralie, who is normally here of a night and whom I often don't see. She what? Oh, could, could you stand then for your mum? Thank you. Which is very exciting. So the Lord bless you. If you don't know these guys, if you don't know Coralie over here, or if you don't know, if you don't know Ken, <laughs> if you haven't met Scott and get to know them. Uh, continue to poll, please, Bruce and Diane. Bruce was the, guy, the, the unsuccessful candidate, and so that can be a very painful process to go through. So pray for him, for the Lord to be near him, and as we continue to provide pastoral care uh, for him. Um, so that was a, a demanding, but nonetheless a satisfying afternoon. I thought uh, our administrator, Peter McCullough, just carried the whole afternoon, who spoke, I think, once, but it was so impacting and so powerful, we should just turn that man loose. Everybody agrees? Yeah. Amen. Where is he? He's probably out counting the offering. You didn't hear a word of it. Where? There he is. Hey, Pete. Don't mention me from the pulpit, Daryl. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, too, for guiding us this afternoon on those three big issues. We ask again tonight, as we always do, could you speak to us, please, through your word, through your scriptures, by your spirit, speak truth into our hearts, that we might become closer, better, stronger disciples of the Lord Jesus. We pray and ask in his name. Amen. Topic I've been given for tonight is to do with as we follow Jesus, as we are disciples, that we are um, 
the issue is the Holy Spirit, that we have the Holy Spirit. And so I, I, get the, <laughs> I got 30 minutes, maybe less, to talk about the whole topic of the Holy Spirit, which is just massive. And so I'm going to do two things. Well, maybe four. I'm going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit reasonably quickly. I'm going to talk about what does the Holy Spirit do, and I'll do that reasonably inadequately, but I'll do the, the high points of that because there's so much that the Holy Spirit does. And then I want to get to at the end about the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. And as we follow Jesus as his disciples, and it's essential for us, in fact, it's a New Testament command, we are filled with the Spirit. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? That's where I want to get to. Um, and so we'll see how we go. Um, you may have questions, and I encourage you to either speak to Aurora or to Pastor Charlie. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, it'd be great to do a question and answer dialogue backwards and forwards. Certainly at the level of my energy, that would be a better way of doing it. But we won't because of time. <clears throat> Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. Sometimes, erroneously, you will hear, hear the Holy Spirit referred to as an it. And even sometimes in the New Testament, it may be translated in English as it because the word spirit is neuter. So technically, grammatically, it's it. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He is a he. He's not a masculine he. Father, Son, and Spirit do not have gender. Uh, they are gender neutral. They are spirit beings. Jesus, of course, when he came to the earth, was a man. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force, as Jehovah's Witnesses teach. And as the King James Bible translator, he's not a ghost. Back in the 16th century, when the King James Bible was being translated, they sent the, te the uh, portions of the Old Testament to be translated in the New Testament, they sent it to three different universities, Cambridge, Oxford, and some other one. And they had different scholars there. And in one particular college, I don't know which one it was, so I'm going to pick on Cambridge, they used the word ghost. So whenever you read that part of the New Testament that they translated, it will always use the word ghost. But when you read the other parts of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, where it talks about the Holy Spirit, they'll use the word spirit. That's why sometimes there's this interchange. The King James doesn't use ghost consistently because of that very reason. But ghost is a very old word, meaning simply a spirit being. And so that's, they use that word. The Holy Spirit's not a ghost. He's not a departed spirit from any living being. He is a person. He has intellect. He thinks. He speaks. He leads. He has emotions. He can be grieved, he's jealous and he yearns, and he has a will. He decides to do certain things. He gives gifts according to his will. He teaches, he prays, prays for us. He even performs miracles, and he helps and guides and provides for us. He's a person. So you are to relate to him. The person living inside of you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, is a person. He's a very gentle person person and he never shouts he whispers speaks in a very soft gentle voice at the level of your conscience if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus you have received the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus and he is living in you and so when he speaks to you and that's what he does whether you hear him or whether you're listening is another issue but when he speaks to you it'll be an internal voice not in your ears as an external voice because he's not external to you he's internal he is in you. He is not only a person, he is a divine person. He is God. The Bible says that he is eternal, that he is all-knowing, 
that he is everywhere. You can't get away from his presence. That he was involved in creation, that he imparts life, spiritual life particularly. We are born again by the Spirit. And he therefore is equal to the Father and to the Son. That's why the Great Commission says, go into all the world, make disciples and baptize them in the name, singular, into the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, co-eternal, they are connected and interchangeable. It's impossible to give an adequate metaphor or illustration of what, that divine, of what the divine being is like. But two things are true, which is it impossible for us to reconcile or to explain. Number one, there is only one God, one divine superior being. But that being exists in three persons, Father, Son and Spirit. They are separate, they are distinct, but they are so united and so interconnected that they are... One, the closest illustration I can, for me, satisfies me, it's like having three people. I was going to pick names, but I won't. So one, two, three. And what I think is what the other person thinks and what the third person agrees with. And what I say is what they would have said. And so when I say, I think we should, they agree and... So the father sent the son, and the son says, of course, I want to go, and the spirit is the one who was involved in the whole process. They are like a committee, but they are not three gods. They together somehow are interconnected, like you have, most of you anyway, have a brain, a mind, which is immaterial. The brain is material, but the mind is immaterial, isn't it? The immaterial is mixed with the material, the physical. How does that work? How can the immaterial mix with the material? And yet we're living examples of it. We'll just take it up another level. It's three immaterial beings of the same substance who form one being. There is one true and living God and the Holy Spirit is God. That's where language will fail us. You'll end up saying something that'll end up in being a heresy. Um, So the Holy Spirit is a person, he is a divine person, and he is a divine person who is like Jesus. Just as Jesus said when he was here, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's also quite true, if you've seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know what the Spirit is like. Because they're the same, but different, distinct. He's called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, even in this passage, he's called the Spirit of God. It's Jesus in us. I am with you always, Jesus says, but he does that by his spirit. Jesus, the second member of the the divine being, the Trinity, is in heaven, not in us. His spirit in us is in us. And in fact, Jesus says, I am going to send you another comforter. And when Jesus used the word another, he meant, I'm going to send you somebody who is exactly like me, another of exactly the same sort. So the spirit is like Jesus, a person, a divine person, and a divine person who is exactly like Jesus. And in fact, the fruit of the spirit are the characteristics and the qualities of Jesus. So this is the person who is now given to us as we accept Christ, and he lives in us. In fact, the Holy Spirit, if you read the New Testament very carefully, and you need to listen carefully right now, because this is... um, Not widely accepted New Testament teaching, but I think it's New Testament teaching. So now that I've pricked your curiosity, listen carefully. 
I believe that Jesus, second person of the divine trinity, of the divine being, put aside something, laid aside his glory, and became human. Still God, but somehow put aside whatever it was he put aside. And my answer is he put aside accessing his divine attributes and abilities. Which means the miracles that Jesus did while he was here, he did not because he was God, he did because the Holy Spirit was in him. He was a human being, a complete man, who so filled with the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit that he was doing miraculous deeds by the Spirit through him. Does that make sense? I don't want to say any more about that. I do want to say this. The Holy Spirit is the one in Hebrews 10 verse 5 who actually prepared the body for the Lord Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who came upon the Virgin Mary and enables her to conceive this child. It's the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It's the Holy Spirit who filled Jesus. In Luke 4, 16, it's the Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus. It's even Jesus saying, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, referring to the Holy Spirit. And then he is the one who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Through John's gospel, you'll have to have Jesus saying, I don't speak of my own authority, but what I hear, I speak. Who's he hearing? Holy Spirit, speaking to him. So the Father in heaven, the Spirit in Jesus, and the Spirit guiding Jesus through all of these things. Now this is the point. If you can grab a hold of this, this will blow your brains. Blows mine. That's why Jesus says, the works you, uh, if you follow me, then you will do greater works than what I do because I go to the Father. How could we do greater works than what Jesus did? Because the spirit that was in Jesus is now in us. And it's not us who is doing the greater works. It's the spirit doing it through us. Make sense? But for us, Jesus was perfect and sinless and completely filled with the spirit. Well, to do what the Lord Jesus did, you need to be in exactly the same situation. You read through church history, you'll read some accounts of some individuals who were so empowered and so filled with the Holy Spirit that they did the things that Jesus, that Jesus was doing. Anyway, moving on. The Spirit is a person, he is a divine person, and he is a divine person who is just like the Lord Jesus as we understand from the Gospel. What does the Holy Spirit do? Lots of things. <clears throat> favourite term of the Lord Jesus for the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the parakletos. That just simply means he is a person who comes alongside. He's a person who comes alongside to help. He's the helper, as some Bible versions translate it in John's Gospel. He encourages, he comforts, he strengthens, he counsels, he corrects. He does all of those things. He comes alongside us to help us. The Holy Spirit at creation is the one who caused new things to come into being. He's the, he is the one who brings order out of chaos in our lives as well as in the life of the church. He is the one who frees us and heals us and restores broken relationships. Sometimes, and this is where you've got to read your Bibles very carefully, while the Holy Spirit is in all believers, he comes on some believers. There's a difference between the Spirit being in you and the Holy Spirit coming on you. 
The New Testament word for that is he anoints you with power. You read through the book of Acts and you will read that they were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit came on them. And there's a manifestation of the works and the life of Jesus in those particular people. But he's been doing that all through creation, uh, all through the uh, human history. This is Waz's favourite Bible passage. Exodus 35, verses 3 to 5. This is your favourite passage, isn't it, Wazza? That's not it. It's not 35. My notes are wrong. 31. Um, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel. You know Bezalel? You do. Um, Son of him, tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God. That's the point. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for works in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of craft. Here is a guy who was a craftsman, a tradesman. He's a mason, he's a carpenter, he's a builder. How does he get those skills? I have filled him with my spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit's infilling that these abilities and talents are being manifested in that man's life. That's how it works. It's a great passage. Exodus 31, verses 3 to 5. So what else does the spirit do? Well, I'll leave those two for later. The Holy Spirit, before we become followers of the Lord Jesus, convicts us of sin, convinces us of our need of a saviour, and is the one who actually converts us. We are born again by the Spirit of God. He does that. At conversion, he forgives us. As that passage, Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the one who communicates that liberating truth that we have now been set free um, as Micah the prophet, Micah the prophet says, he takes our sins and he casts them in the depths of the sea. Can't get them back. Cleansed, forgiven. Uh, uh, Romans eight, he is the one who adopts us, makes us children of God. And while we are legally now spiritually and legally children of God, it's the Spirit who is revealing our identity to us. He is the one who develops intimacy between us and our. Heavenly Father. For instance, you heard of a guy called Prince Charles? <clears throat> Three of you, eh? Okay. Do you know what his title is? Listen to this. He is the heir apparent to the crown, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, Duke of Cornwall, Knight of the Garter, Colonel in Chief of the Royal Regiment of Wales, Duke of Rothsey. Knight of the Thistle, Rear Admiral, Great Master of the Order of Bath, Earl of Chester, Earl of Carrick, Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, and the Great Steward of Scotland. When you address him, that's his title, stick that on your business card. (laughs) When you address him, you would call him your Royal Highness. What do you think William calls him? Dad. What do you think Harry calls him? Pops. Is that true? Of course it is. I said so. (laughs) That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. We are addressing the sovereign Lord, the creator, the almighty himself. And what does the spirit place in our hearts? What do you call him? Abba. Father. Dad. It's a term of intimacy, closeness and affection. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to develop in you, that 
You're a child of the Father. You are loved. I think I've told this evening congregation, you'd have to be here for a few years, I think. It was a long time ago. I once had, uh, in a small country town, Juni, I once had some um, elders of a church, the Uniting Church, and a couple of other leaders in other churches. We had a youth meeting, and they invited me around to interview me for whatever reason, and they said, can you describe, Beryl, for us what your experience is when you pray? And I did. And I, I'll never forget the look of amazement or surprise on the face of one elder in particular. Stan was his name. And all I did was outline. I said, often when I pray, not always, but often when I pray, I imagine myself walking into the throne room of heaven and I imagine, well, I say it's my heavenly father. I imagine my heavenly father sitting on a throne and I walk up to the throne and I hop on his lap and I sit on his lap and he puts his arm around me and I talk to him. He's my Abba. He's my father. I know him and he knows me and he wants me to know him even more. That's what he wants for you. I don't know what you imagine when you pray to God, but that's what the Holy Spirit wants to develop in you, this close, intimate relationship with him. He wants to develop that relationship in you. Romans 5, verse 5, another chapter says, For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by his spirit. The love of God. God's love for you poured into your heart. But for many of us, we're so busy and so distracted, we're missing these impressions and some of these experiences, but they're still there. The Holy Spirit hasn't left us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. It's not not true in the New Testament. When he comes, he comes to stay permanently. He is resident in the believer. Um, And the reason he is resident is that he wants to be president, Lord. Because that's how we all made. That's our happiest, to be in full surrender and submission to him. Being a disciple. Follow me. He wants to develop the relationship. Just like when a child is born into the family, that child will develop relationship with the parents and the wider family member. It's something that grows and develops over time. It's not instant. So too, for us. It's something that will grow and develop. Um, takes time. Daily encounter. Ephesians 2.18, it's through the Holy Spirit that we have access to the Heavenly Father. In Romans 8.26, it's the Holy Spirit who prays for us. Ephesians 1, it's the Holy Spirit who enlightens our minds and eyes to understand the Scriptures. There's so much more. Um, I'll just read the headings. He develops family likeness in us. You know how kids look like their parents? Sometimes pets look like their parents too, don't they? But kids look like their parents. You have a close look at Rochelle Barry after tonight. Tell me who she reminds you of. And so on. My son increasingly, as he gets older, rounder, balder, people say to him, you're like your dad. I keep saying, I can't see it. What's the... Kids are like their parents. And so we become like our Heavenly Father. That's what the Holy Spirit's working in us for. The Holy Spirit provides unity in the church family. It's what the Father desires, it's what Jesus prayed for, and it's in fact the gift of the Spirit. It's what he gives, Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. He's already given it to us that we're one. But we stuff it up through our own ego, through our own sins, through our own agendas or whatever. But he's very keen for us to be united. 
both in a church, in your connect group, in the congregation, but also interchurch-wise with other brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Unity in the family. But the Holy Spirit also enjoys great variety. Just like kids born of the same parents are not identical. Not even identical twins are fully identical. They're different. So we're different. Each has a different role and contribution to make. Uh, even if you've got the same gift as somebody else, you may have it at a different level of ability or for different areas of ministry or service. One of the things we did today, we met somebody and a couple and interviewed them for uh, membership, lovely couple, you'll know them, so I won't name them. And they said this really exciting thing. One of the things they used to do in a previous church was hold these things they called an evangelistic barbecue. Some of you will know who they are now. And what that was is they would go to a park and they'd put on a barbecue, free sausages and stuff, onions and sausages, and just for anybody in the community to come. They could have a free barbecue thing, obviously with the onion underneath, sausage on top, so you don't get any slippages. And that might be near a hospital or somewhere. They often got uh, unemployed people or they got um, homeless people or they got people with mental disabilities, but they did that on a regular basis. I was so excited by that and I said, I would love to do that. I would love to just go sit in a non-threatening way and and get the the idea of talking about Jesus, talking about God. What do you guys think about God? And they may want to engage, they may not to. That's all right. Let God work it out. Driving home with Rhonda and she said that did not resonate with her at all. She found that more threatening. And I said, well, that's okay, sweetheart. We are different. And you need to accept. You need to be accepting that you are different and not feel pressured that because you're the pastor's wife, you have to do that. That's we're different. God made us that way. Be the way that God has made us to be. The Holy Spirit loves to grow the family as well. And he's committed to doing that. We can't grow the church. Apollos watered, Paul planted. It's God who gives the growth. We rely on the Spirit of God working, convicting and drawing. But we cannot abdicate all of our responsibilities. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we can't do it in the arm of our own flesh. It's the Spirit who does it. Well... I nearly need to come to an end. He guides us, he lives in us, and he talks with us, and we need to hear his voice and grow in doing it. And it's when we pray that he will speak to you. Acts 13. While we were praying and worshipping, the Holy Spirit said to us, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the task that I have called them to do. It's when we pray, he speaks. Too many of us, I think, when we pray, we're finished. And we get leave. It's not a two-way conversation. Prayer is a two-way conversation. It's subjective, but it's experiential and it's relational. I went to the doctor last week for my, I want to check up things and had to get more blood pressure tablets. And imagine I went into my doctor and I said to her, listen, I've run out of blood pressure tablets. I need more of those. I want you to do a physical on me and I need you to examine my skin for skin cancers. Thank you. See ya. Um, Hang on. Don't you want me to, you know, give you a diagnosis and analysis? No, no, finished. Told you what I want. See ya. Some of us are like that in prayer. We come to God and say, God, can you do this? Can you do that? And something else. And see, yep, off we go. Charles Spurgeon, it was, who very cheekily, as he often would do, he said, some of us are like people in prayer. We come to the door of heaven, we knock on it. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. And nothing happens, so we walk away. 
In the meantime, the father is getting off the throne and he's walking towards the front door, ready to open it. But you've left before he's engaged. So when you pray, take time to pause and listen. Lord, what do you want to say to me? And then what idea pops into your mind? What feeling do you get? What prompting do you get? Write it down. No, it's not always going to be the Holy Spirit. No, this is not infallible process. It's a relationship. But you will grow and you will learn. That was the Lord. That was the garlic I had last night. That's because I'm tired. But no, that voice, that's the Lord. And I'll share something with you that I've never shared publicly before. And so you may want to explore this a bit. The more you get to know God, you'll discern a difference in the voice of the Father, the voice of the Son, and the voice of the Spirit. There is a difference. There's a challenge for you. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. He does speak and he does guide us. I wanted to say this. Finished with these two points. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, the Heavenly Father promised, he said, I will put, the days are coming, I will put my spirit in you. And he will guide you and direct you and teach you. Joel chapter 2 verse 28, he follows up that promise with God's prediction that one day he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, all flesh, on men and on women. And you will prophesy and you will dream dreams and you will see visions, which is what happens in Acts chapter 2. And Peter says this is the fulfillment of that. But notice this. The prediction was in Joel 2 that the spirit would be on all people, all believers, and that would increase your ability to hear from God. You'll prophesy and dream dreams and have visions. You will hear of your relationship. This promise happened obviously through Jesus. It's through Jesus. John the Baptist says that he is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus when he is baptized that the Spirit comes on him like a dove descending from heaven. And if you read Luke chapter 4, it's, it's the Holy Spirit in Jesus who leads him, who empowers him for ministry and for service. And it's Jesus at the end of his life who says to the disciples, remain in Jerusalem until you have received the promise of the Father, until you have received power from on high, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will receive power. You'll be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father and that's manifested ongoingly today in what we call being filled with the Spirit. He can come on you and he can fill you. It can be for a season. It's to be a daily experience. The command in Ephesians 5.8 is a continuous command, it's present. It's be being filled, it's passive. It's not something you do, it's something you make yourself available for. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, if you want to fill a glass, it should be a clean glass, shouldn't it? If you want to be filled with the Spirit, then you should be clean. So confess and repent of your sins, surrender your life to him, be clean before him. And then ask him, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said, Luke chapter 11. Um, if a son asks for a piece of fish do you give him a stone if he asks for this do you give him that how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him Luke eleven thirteen. ask Lord could you fill me with your Holy Spirit please then expect him to do so and do it again tomorrow and do it again tomorrow and do it again the day after that and repeat it repeat it repeat it 
And then as you walk with the Spirit throughout the day, it might be that you're going to be praying it twice a day, not once a day. That's an ongoing. So, brothers and sisters, let's cry out to the Father to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that our lives will brim over with the life of Jesus. We're not religious. It's about relationship. When we read our Bibles, it's not just ticking your box saying, I read my Bible today. It's hearing and relating and listening. What is the Lord wanting to say to me? And he has said he wants to communicate through the book. But he also communicates through his spirit. He does both. So I encourage you to listen to him. And I'm going to invite you to bow your head in prayer. And if you want to come and talk about any of this, if you would like us to pray for you, if you've never done that before, if you've never asked the Holy Spirit to fill you, then we can pray with you and we would love to do so. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, what a loving Heavenly Father you are. And you have sent your Spirit, the Spirit of your Son, to be with us and to live in us. And you yearn for us to have a very close relationship with you. So Holy Spirit, we ask you tonight that you might be pleased to cleanse us, forgive us, and then fill us. Bring us under your daily influence. Release us from our inhibitions. Bring us under your influence. Live your life, the life of Jesus. Live it in us and through us. Lord, I know this is exactly what you want, so I ask for it and expect it in the name of Jesus, to his honour and glory. Amen. Please join us to worship God again.